Peter, and it's chapter 3, verses 8 to 22. So, reading from the NIV. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring to you God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Well, it's my pleasure to uh, offer a warm welcome to you all as well, and uh, it's good to be amongst the Fellowship of Lum. So we're going to consider those uh, few verses that we read from the first letter of Peter, and that sort of leads me to ask you an obvious question. Are you prepared? Well, just consider this for a moment, that you are here today because at some time in the past, someone else was prepared. And what we do then is we focus upon what Peter was saying, particularly uh, in the 15th verse of his chapter, where we read, But in your hearts set Christ as Lord. 
always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. It is here then that Peter challenges all believers, and that includes you and me, to always be prepared. However, before we arrive at what could be regarded as the focal point of the passage, Peter starts to give us sensible advice about how believers might live in a society that, by and large, is indifferent to, but is sometimes hostile towards those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, the first recipients of Peter's letter would have been in no doubt whatsoever that they were living in a society that was hostile towards believers in Jesus Christ because they were the people who were being physically persecuted at the time. They knew what it meant to suffer simply for being a Christian. But you know, such persecution and suffering was not confined simply to those times alone. We know today that there are many Christians around the world who suffer similar persecution and hardship to that of those first readers of Peter's letter some 2,000 years ago. And of course, today there are many examples of Christians who suffer because there are those who have a hatred of believers in Jesus Christ. Indeed, last month we read with absolute horror about the persecution to the point of death of a significant number of Christians in Sri Lanka. They were the target of those who didn't want in any way to tolerate the Christian message. But what about you and me? We live or near to this quiet and peaceful village of Lum. Surely we're at least tolerated as Christians in this area. And yet even within British society, it's a society that's become somewhat cynical in the way that it looks at Christianity. And sometimes even we see uh, people making jokes of us. And occasionally we have hostility even in Britain. Indeed, there's a well-known MP from Lancashire who had to step down from a senior position because his junior school-aged children were being threatened on a regular basis. And those threats were nothing to do with the politics, but simply because that MP had had the temerity to post on his website that for him, Jesus Christ was the most important part of his life. So even in our tolerant society, there is an element of cynicism. Sometimes there's an element of ridicule. And occasionally, sadly, there is blatant hostility. And you know, perhaps you have mild examples of that in your own experience. Um, if I look at my extended family, there's a couple of folks within that cohort who are very happy to talk to me, but as long as I never mention Christianity. 
Maybe you have something similar in your experience. Anyway, um, not to dwell upon these things, but that is the backdrop of our experience as we read these verses. And hopefully these verses will give us great encouragement um, because Peter understands the problems. He's familiar with these issues and he has this heartfelt concern for those who suffer simply because they profess Jesus Christ. But he wants to give us advice so that you and I might live and behave in a certain way. And firstly, he wants us to be what I might call silent witnesses. And to this he says this in verse 8. He says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. So as you and I face up to the world around us, it is essential that we ourselves get along with each other. That's the message that Peter is talking about here. And more than that, that when the world looks at us, this is what they see. They see a silent witness going on. And Peter gives us those details. He names five characteristics that are essential to us getting on together and providing that silent witness for the world that looks onto us. Peter teaches us that when the world looks at us, they should be able to observe harmony, sympathy, love, compassion, and humility. Because those are the five essential ingredients of Christian character. And it's not a matter of pick and mix, I'll have that one and that one, but I'm not so keen on the others. Neither do we specialise in one of those five particularly. And I can't simply take all four but then say, I don't like humility because I'm a bit of a proud person doesn't work that way. These are simply the five characteristics that are the normal, everyday way of living for a Christian. And it's the emphasis upon these which Peter wants us to embrace as people whose hearts are set apart for Jesus Christ as Lord. And even if we were to live in a totally isolated Christian community with no contact at all with the world outside, these are still those everyday qualities that are expected of us. And Peter's message is simply that we practice these things. And then when the world looks at us, they will be confronted with a powerful, silent witness. And why is this so? Why is this witness so powerful? Well, it's simply that those are the very qualities that we reflect of our Saviour and Lord Jesus Christ. We are members of his body, which is the church, and we should therefore reflect his perfect qualities to the world in which we live. Of course, you and I may not be able to reach those wonderful standards of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will display these qualities somewhat dimly and somewhat imperfectly. But we are to display them. 
Now, Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, describes the believer as an ambassador of Christ. We thought about that with the children's talk this morning. And the ambassador is a representative of a nation who is not actually present in an alien place. So within the world in which we live, which by and large is indifferent to what we do, but is sometimes hostile towards us, we represent Jesus Christ as ambassadors. We are there to express the qualities of Jesus Christ into the world in which we live. That's what an ambassador does. And that's an amazing privilege, but it's also an awesome responsibility. But let's go back to Peter because he moves on and in verse 9 he gives us attention to um, also some aspects of how we should actively behave uh, with the world in which we live. And he says this, he says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because of this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now, if you think about it, the natural response to hostility is retaliation. We see it all the time. Um, We see it on our TV. It's the the nature of soap operas and so on. It's uh, hostility and retaliation are a a, a great theme uh, on our TV. It's the way the world thinks. But Jesus both taught and demonstrated that we should respond to hostility not with retaliation, but with grace. And that is absolutely revolutionary. To not retaliate, even if you are sure that you own the moral high ground. And remember this, that even on the cross it was our Lord who graciously prayed for his enemies, even while he was dying, indeed the very ones who had made the death threat and carried it out. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And you know, the last sentence that Stephen would ever utter was when he prayed for those who were actually stoning him to death. He's recorded of saying, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. So even in the face of hostility, And even in the face of extreme hostility, the Christian is called to exercise grace. Now, I think that's a really tough call. It is at the very centre of hostility against the Christian where Peter speaks of blessing. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. So what does it mean to bless our enemies? Well, the word that's actually translated here means to speak well of. Quite the opposite, then, to cursing. Normally people would curse their enemies. We're asked to bless them, to speak well of them. And that's a strange thing to be expected to do. And so Peter is not simply saying... Well, as Christians, you should abstain from saying bad things about your enemies. His way is far more radical. It's not a matter of abstaining. He teaches us to bless our enemies, to speak well of them. 
And that's an amazing challenge. But you know, Paul said similar things in his first letters of the Corinthians. He said, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Such is the complete expected reversal of the Christian mindset to that of the world. And this is taught not only by Peter, but also by Paul. We turn everything on its head. What we teach then as Christians, or what we are being taught here in Peter, is so counterintuitive of the worldly view of what we should do about enemies. So why? Why is Peter teaching such a radical, different approach? Why did Paul say exactly the same sort of things? And you know the answer is very simple. Because the great desire of both Peter and Paul, and therefore also the great desire of all Christians, is not to gain the satisfaction of revenge over our enemies, but rather to do all that we can possibly do to bring our enemies into a knowledge of God and to show them the Saviour in order that they too may come to repentance and be saved. That is our motivation. Whatever they do to us, we are Christ's ambassadors, and we, with open arms, present Jesus to them. That should be our overwhelming priority, and it's for that reason that Peter teaches such such things in his first letter and challenges us to put such things into practice. But we need to think of ourselves for a moment and we have to ask ourselves the obvious question, what is it we can do to protect ourselves as we live in a world which sometimes is hostile towards us? And that's certainly a question for those who live in areas where they are persecuted. And Peter gives us an answer later on in verses 13 to 15. He says, who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. So we are to shun evil and seek peace. And we are reminded that the Lord watches over the righteous and that he listens to their prayers. So it follows in Peter's thinking that as Christians we are righteous because of our salvation in Jesus Christ and that this leads us to be a prayerful people whose prayers fall on the attentive ears of our Heavenly Father. The idea then is that who could possibly harm those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ? And of course, Paul says something very similar about this in his letters to the Romans. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? And then goes on to remind us that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God is for us, who can be against us? But we are sort of, in a sense, looking at these parallel passages between Peter and Paul. But Peter knows about persecution. 
and he puts this useful emphasis for the sake of Christians who suffer for their faith. And he teaches that even if a Christian should suffer persecution, he or she will still be blessed by God, will still be protected by God, and there is nothing on this earth that will remove them from that wonderful relationship with God and the eternity that follows. Whatever we endure on this earth as God's people, our future eternal blessing is certain. Persecution or hostility from the world cannot take that away. And so our future certainty does not rely upon our relationship with this world, but rather our membership of God's eternal kingdom with the promises of future vindication for anything we have suffered for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ during this life. And Peter adds a quotation in his writing from the prophet Isaiah. He says, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And Peter here is expressing his overwhelming confidence in history right from the Old Testament to the present time. A history of the God who stands by his people. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. And you know, today, that same unchanging sovereign God stands by you and me. Especially should we ever have to face hostility or even persecution for our faith in Jesus Christ. But the climax of Peter's teaching is where we started and we thought about uh, protecting ourselves, but the key is this, in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Christians are encouraged to consecrate Jesus Christ in their hearts. And the heart here is the central part of a person's being. Uh, Proverbs describes the heart as the wellspring of life. It's the character that we have. It's what makes you, you and me, me. That's what it means in scripture when it speaks of the heart. And when the believer's heart is submitted to the control of Jesus Christ, the believer dedicates his or her entire life to Jesus And it is at that point that the Christian is completely safe from fear and fully defended from all hostility, albeit whatever degree of hostility we experience. So Peter has taught us how to live as silent witnesses in this world. He's explained that we should be very careful to live in harmony, in sympathy, in love and with compassion and humility, Because these are the hallmarks of the Christian. These are the ambassadorial hallmarks of being one who takes Jesus Christ into the world. But he also challenges us to be proactive in blessing our enemies. And he's given us a remedy for any fear associated with proclaiming Christ as Lord. And really what we need to do is to cling to Christ. But there is this final challenge then. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. And just in the closing moments then, let's consider 
how we can be prepared in a society which is largely indifferent to us and occasionally can be hostile. Well, Peter tells us always to be prepared to give an answer. Now, to be prepared has two possible meanings, and I think both are applicable here. First of all, being prepared as being willing. I'm prepared to talk to you. I'm prepared to do this. It's a willingness. But also, then, there is the prepared in the sense of having made preparation. I'm well prepared for what I'm going to do. I'm going to climb a mountain. I've prepared. And maybe we can illustrate this idea of those two aspects of being prepared if we consider a hypothetical first aider for a moment. Um, Imagine a first aider who runs away from the scene of the accident and gets as far away as they can. Well, that would represent an unwillingness to help. But secondly, consider a first aider or somebody who likes to think they're a first aider who has no training whatsoever and has even forgotten to bring the first aid kit. Um, They are, in in a sense, just as uh, unhelpful as the one who is unwilling. They are willing but unprepared. So we have to be careful to look at both of those aspects of what it means to be prepared. And Peter, who has given clear advice on how to be effective silent witnesses in this world, now challenges also to be active witnesses. The active witness is all about sharing the gospel and being willing and able to explain why we are proud to be Christians. So are we prepared? Our willingness should be the easy part, although we may not always find it easy to talk about our faith in Jesus to everyone we meet. Indeed, there may be members of your family who you find it difficult to speak uh, about the gospel. This is a common experience. It's my experience, too. And we're all aware of our weaknesses, and perhaps sometimes we feel quite timid when it comes to having such discussions about our faith. We feel inadequate. We don't know what to say. Well, the simple remedy initially is to pray about it and pray each day that we will be given the strength and the necessary boldness by God's Spirit for any situation we might find ourselves in. And as a church at Lum, we demonstrate our willingness through many activities. Our Sunday school teachers are willing to tell our young people about Jesus. There are opportunities to help with local Christian youth work. We have a mother and toddlers group. We have lunch at Lum for the older folks of the community. We have coffee with a cause. We have messy church meetings. We work with local schools through projects like Open the Book. And I've perhaps missed some, but there are many instances where we engage with the community, which I think is a willingness in that we are prepared to at least meet with the community. And of course, in three weeks' time, we have the fun day, where again, we reach out in love to the local community. So these various activities would suggest that we have a willingness to speak about what we believe. And certainly these things we can pray about. Every week when we have the notices from Beryl and she says what's going on, 
we can think, yeah, those are events which are really important in our active witness as a church. So do pray for them. But what about our own preparation? You know, it doesn't matter um, what we speak when we speak of our faith in Jesus. One commentator about this said this. He said, We must know when and how far and to whom it is expedient to speak. In other words, we should be discerning. Sometimes people just need a simple answer. Sometimes they need a deeper answer. And we need to be discerning about that when we speak about the gospel. Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone. And then he gives us a little hint. He says, who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have? So the thing we should really prepare for is to give an answer and a reason for the hope we have. That's what Peter is helping us with here. The hope we have is what the world so desperately needs. We live in a world that lacks hope, and it's the gospel that brings hope. So do think about the hope that you have, and be prepared to share this with others. I don't see anywhere where Peter is saying, do engage in deep discussions on Christian doctrine. That's not what it's about. That may occasionally happen, but that's not what Peter is asking us to do. He's saying, be sure that you can give a reason for the hope you have as a Christian. We simply need to be ready to express that hope, that hope that we have through our loving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it in a nutshell. And so there's that other item of prayer that we might ask God to equip us to be able to express the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That's what we're being asked to do. That's what Peter is encouraging to do. And so we go back to where we started from. You and I are here today because at some time in the past there was someone who was prepared to give an answer to us. So in our turn, are we willing, are we prepared in the sense of being ready to give the reason for the hope we have? I do hope so. And it could be the conversation someone has been waiting for for many years. And we express that reason for our hope in our own words, in our own frailty, but with the knowledge that it is fully backed by our Heavenly Father and his Holy Spirit who is within us. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Amen.